Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, what the Apostle Paul has been leading up to at this point is the old man being put off and the new man being put on. And since that is a reality that we are no longer in Adam, but we are now in Jesus Christ, the old man has been put off, the new man has been put on, but there is a continual need then to put off the old desires, the old attitudes, dispositions, loves, affections, directions, even the standard that is within our lives. We no longer live according to a subjective standard of the world. We live according to the objective standard of God's Word. This is what rules within our heart as the Spirit applies that Word to our minds, giving us understanding and the mind of Christ and becoming more and more developed in our lives. You see, beloved, it's not all about this morality. The ethical standard of God's Word is what we strive to live according to, which gives us a high morality as the people of God. You see, morality is what is. Ethics is what ought to be. We ought to live this way. And as we strive to live according to the teaching of God's Word, then our moral living or what is in the moral life will have a high standard. It will be a high living in accordance with the Word of God. That's what we desire. But we don't do that for morality's sake. That's often what you find of in the world. People will do these things because of self-image or because it's a better living if I do this. Things will go well for me if I live this particular way. That is not why we as Christians are striving to live a life of morality, which is an ethical life. Why is that then? We strive for the glory of God. That's why. And that drives a high moral living. When Joseph was day after day, the Potiphar's wife said, come lie with me. And he declined and he said this, how can I do this wicked thing and sin against my God? He didn't say, I may get caught. That would ruin my self-image. He didn't say, Potiphar may walk in. He didn't say, you might get pregnant and I get found out. He said, how can I do this wicked thing and sin against my God? That was high upon his soul. And because it was, it drove a high morality. Because he was living according to an ethical standard. That's what we are called to as Christians. Putting off the old manner of living, putting on the new manner in Jesus Christ. Again, Because that has happened, it is to continue to happen in the life of the Christian. Paul said it this way in in Romans 13, Since you have put on Christ, put Him on. He has put on us at justification, and He is to continually be put on us in our sanctification. Growing in grace and knowledge and understanding of the things of God. The mind of Christ, Philippians 2, has been given to us. We have the mind of Christ In Jesus Christ. But as new Christians, as young Christians, it's infantile. They need to grow. They need to grow in grace, in knowledge, in understanding. And it really doesn't even matter how old you are, how long you've been a Christian. We need to constantly grow. We need to constantly be transformed by the renewing of our mind. 
How often has it been, beloved, that you've read God's Word and you've said, I've never seen that before. I don't ever remember reading that before. That's why we need a constant work of the Spirit within our lives. Growing in grace and knowledge and understanding. Having the mindset of Jesus Christ. Putting on Christ. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's speaking, as you know, the indicative and then the imperative. The indicative, as we break it up, about half of his epistle is the statement of facts. This is who you are and this is what God has done for you in Christ. This is your identity. It is not what you think you are. It is what God says that you are. Your identity. Then, the back half of the epistle, he begins with the imperative. Since this is who you are, and since this is what God has done for you, now, this is how you live your life. This is how you begin to walk as a new man in Jesus Christ. And so he says, you know, put away lying, stop stealing, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. We are to clean up the language. Certain words are not to come out of our mouths any longer. A putrid language. Uh, uh, this, this putridness of tearing down, corroding as it were. We live in a society, we live in a culture that's corrosive. Think about the language that we find all around us. And I'm not talking just simply about what we have deemed as vulgarity or curse words. Think about the language of denying the providential hand of God, the sovereignty of God, the existence of God, the goodness of God. That is all around us. It's a corrupting speech. Paul says, put all that off. Stop speaking like a pagan. Be who you truly are. And that's the struggle, isn't it? It's practically being who I am positionally. Who am I positionally? Well, I am one who stands perfect before a holy God. Not because of what I have done, but because of what Christ has done in my place. I stand in His righteous robes. But my practice doesn't always match my position. Hardly ever does it match my position. And that's the struggle of sanctification. But as I said in Sunday school this morning, that there's a struggle demonstrates that there is life. When a woman has a baby in her womb, the baby is moving around. There are times where the baby's kicking in a hand and a push, and she can feel it. And she says, Oh, I just, the baby just kicked. When she becomes nervous is when there is no more movement in her womb. She becomes nervous about that because it shows signs of no life. She becomes concerned about that. You see, beloved, the struggle is good. As Christians, we are struggling. It's a struggle, as the catechism says, with regards to the world, the flesh, and the devil that go on without ceasing. They assail us without ceasing in this spiritual warfare. If you are without struggle, that is not a good sign. If you are not struggling in your own soul, that is not a good sign. Because where there is life, there's a struggle, there's movement, and there's growth. And so it is with the Christian. That's what the Apostle is saying here. Keep growing. Keep on exercising the means of grace. Keep on putting off the old habits, the old dispositions, 
the old manner of living and put on the new habits in Jesus Christ. The new loves, the new affection, the new direction, the new standard. And this is how we are to live. And beloved, it's always reminding yourself, isn't it, of who you are and what God God calls you to as a believer. It's reminding yourself of the Word. If, If your heart speaks, what comes out of your heart? So you're going through a difficult time and a struggle in your life, and you begin to spew what comes out of your mouth. Disappointment, discouragement, sadness, despair, hopelessness. What do we need then? It's not to let our heart speak, but to speak to our heart. You speak the Word of God to the heart. Then you recalibrate, you refocus, you see things then clearly that I am in the hands of God. He is upholding me with a strong power. He will never let me go. He will not forsake me. He will never leave me. He is with me to the end of the age. He is dwelling within me. He will comfort me. That's what we need to speak. That's what we need. And that's what we need with one another. We need to comfort one another with God's Word. Interesting, 1 Thessalonians 4, when Paul goes through the the chapter on the resurrection, he says this, comfort one another with these words. A death of a loved one. Here's comfort. There is a resurrection coming. Oh, I know at the last day, Christ is the resurrection. The resurrection dwells within you by His Spirit. He has the power to raise up. That's the comfort. We have relocated when we die, when we leave this earth. We relocate spiritually. The body is left behind. And good riddance. I need a new body. I need this mortal to put on immortality. I need this corruptible that's falling to the earth to put on incorruption. I need this to be glorified. But the soul goes on to be with the Lord. It is in the church triumphant. And God promises that body is going to come out of the grave. And you say, unbelief says, how is He going to do that? It's dust now. There's nothing there now. God is going to bring it back together. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is this something that the Lord can't do? Bringing the body back together? The Lord's going to do this, beloved. He has promised. He cannot lie. He will bring it to pass. I am going to have a glorified body. God has declared it. It must come to pass, so it shall be. That's the comfort. Are you ready to die now? Sure. Let's go on. I'm in the hands of the Lord. I don't die by chance. We call it an accident. An accidental death. He died too young. He died too early. He died too soon. No, no, no. He died right on time. Because we are not on our timetable. My time is in the Lord's hands. We die according to the Lord's prescribed day. What He has ordained. Everybody dies right on time. It doesn't matter if a plane flies over and the engine falls out and wipes out an entire block. We died on time. God's timing. That's the comfort for the believer. We're indestructible until the Lord is done with us. You cannot kill me until the Lord is done with me. I will not die too soon. That doesn't mean I I live foolishly, but I will not die too soon. I will die right on time. 
So the Apostle Paul then says, put off the old ways. Put off those old thinking. Put off that stuff that you think is encouragement that is not encouragement. The harmful helper mentality. Do you know them? Have you heard them? I've heard them all the time at funerals. What do they do? They come and they want to encourage, but they have no word of encouragement. It is God's word that comforts the soul of the believer. Bring me the truth. Bring me the book. Bring me the word of God. Comfort my comfortless soul. And so we come with the word. The harmful helper wants to be a help, but he comes with the worldly wisdom, which is foolishness with God. 1 Corinthians 1. It is absolute foolishness. It's ignorance. And so, put that off, beloved. Put on the mind of Christ continually. Think Christ's thoughts after Him. How are you going to do that? You've got to be in the Word. You've got to be ministered to by the Spirit of God who ministers through the Word of God so that you would think biblically. You know, as said one time, it was said of, of John Bunyan... But it was also said of Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon said it of Bunyan. Somebody else said it about Spurgeon. That he would, if you cut him anywhere on his body, he would bleed bibbling. And what that meant is that you would cut him and Bible verses would come flying out. And what they meant was that he was so steeped in God's word. right? He was approaching everything by the word of truth. So you've got to be asking the question, don't you? What does the Word of God say? That's what the Bereans do, Acts 17. They're more noble than those from Thessalonica. Why? They examine the Word daily to see whether or not the things spoken by the Apostle Paul were in line with the Old Covenant. It's all they had at the time was the Old Covenant. But they were checking. They were searching. They wanted to know, is this biblical? Is this in line? Is this what God has said in His Word? What happened to the church today? Why are we not asking these questions anymore? Why do we not ask the questions with regards to worship? What would God have us to do? Not what makes us feel good, but what would God have us to do in worship? Why? Because we're not searchers of the book today. We don't even ask the question. We go about our daily business and we're caught up in the default mode, which is the things of the world. And we act just like the world acts because we think just like the world thinks. And we say, but I'm a believer. Paul says, show me. Let's see it. <clears throat> is it seen in the way you live? Not a perfection, but a direction. I may be going north. And I got a flat tire and my car is, you know, ready for the junk heap, it seems. But I'm going north and I may be just clunking along and all kinds of stuff is coming out the exhaust. But I'm going north. I'm not going south. You know my direction. You see it and you say, he's going north. He's going slow. He's not running very fast. He looks like he's got all kinds of problems with his car. But he's not going south. He's going north. The direction is evident, isn't it? So it is with the believer and how we live our lives. <clears throat> and this is what the apostle speaks about here in our text. Corrupt words, stealing, speaking lies. He says, in doing so, verse 30, 
grieves the Holy Spirit. That's the context. You want to grieve the Holy Spirit? Be a liar. You want to grieve the Holy Spirit? Keep on stealing. And as I dealt with that last Lord's Day, it just doesn't mean pilfering and taking and embezzling. It could mean simply uh, misusing your gifts, wasting them. Not giving of your tithes and offerings, hoarding your things, not looking out for the interest of others, not providing for others within the congregation who have need, stealing from God. You are robbing God. In doing so, we grieve the Holy Spirit. I think you go on in verse 31, he talks about this as well, bitterness, wrath, anger. We'll get to that. But these are things that grieve the Spirit of God. So Paul says, and do not grieve the Spirit of God. This is a present tense. It's an active voice and it's an imperative mood. And what does that mean? Present tense. It's a continual action. You are continually not to grieve the Spirit of God. That it's an active voice means that you are the actor. You are not to grieve the Spirit of God. In that it's imperative, it's a command from God. God commands you to keep on living your life so that you, in your life, are not grieving the Spirit of God who dwells within you. We do that in a host of ways, don't we? We talk about this. How about your prayerlessness? You see, all things holy, right, and good, and praiseworthy are that which pleases the Spirit of God. All things contrary thereto grieve the Spirit of God. Paul says, don't grieve the Spirit of God. To grieve is to cause sorrow in the life. Now, for the child of God, we can fall into sin. From time to time, in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. He does not depart from us. That is not the concern of the believer here. That is not the teaching of the Apostle Paul here. The Holy Spirit does not seal one to the day of redemption and then leave and then come back and seal again and leave and then come back. He doesn't do that. He is with us until the end of the age. He is always with us. He has sealed us for the day of redemption. The consummation of all things. But what does it mean? When you grieve the Holy Spirit, you will then neglect yourself of the influences of the Holy Spirit. Do you love it, beloved, when you're reading the Word of God and the Holy Spirit enlightens your mind to the truth? When there is conviction of sin and you confess it right then and you repent, you turn from it always more and more. When He shows you wondrous things in the Word, when He brings the connections, you read something in the old, then in the new, and you see the connection that the Holy Spirit gives, that influence of the Spirit of God in the life. When you grieve the Spirit of God, you cause that influence to go away. Not the Spirit of God, but His active influence in your life. And that's when you start questioning, am I saved? I lack assurance. What's going on in my life? I don't know whether I'm a believer or I'm an unbeliever. Well, just think about this for a minute. Does an unbeliever say, I don't know if I'm a believer? Unbelievers don't ask that question. That's the believer's struggle, isn't it? And it's because of sinful activity in the life, the influence of the Holy Spirit has been diminished. And because of that, 
we, we feel it. We sense it in our life. So Paul says, don't do that. It's the Spirit of God. And it's by the Spirit of God you were sealed for the day of redemption. Notice this, that the Holy Spirit is the seal. He is the confirmation that all that is promised in the Word of God will come to pass. He is, Paul speaks about this, as the the aerobond, the engagement ring. When a man is serious about marrying a woman, he buys her traditionally an engagement ring. Now what does he get her? You know, you young ladies, you that are unmarried, if he gets you one of those things from the little gumball machine, dump him immediately. Because he's not serious. But if he comes along with a ring that cost him a few thousand dollars, you know that he's serious about the marriage, don't you? That's the down payment. He has given it to you, and he is promising that the consummation will come. It's coming. It's not yet, but it's coming. And here is the proof, the demonstration. So it is with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God dwelling in us is the confirmation that God is going to consummate all things. He is going to bring His kingdom. He is going to cast out all things that offend. He is going to wash and cleanse and renew and restore all things. Paul speaks about that in Romans 8. There is going to be a glorious kingdom where righteousness dwells. And the promise, the confirmation is the Spirit of God who dwells in us, who constantly, through the ministry of the Word, teaches us, convicts us, assures us that we are the children of the living God. So, we were sealed. And that means that it's going to happen. So don't grieve the Spirit. The Spirit of God is not a thing. The Spirit of God is not an it. The Spirit of God is not an influence. The Spirit of God is not a force. The Spirit of God is a person. Now, in the New Testament, in the Greek, it's given the Spirit is in a neuter form, a neuter gender. right? So it's neither male nor female. But you can see that he's referred to in the masculine pronoun. He is referred to as a person. You you can't grieve a force. I can go back there and flick the electricity on and off and on and off like that. I'm not grieving the electricity. You grieve a person. The Holy Spirit is the one Jesus speaks about. The ministry of the Spirit, John 14 through 17, the most he speaks in the New Testament in those three chapters. But you find within the ministry of the Holy Spirit that He directs, He guides, He teaches, He informs, He regenerates, He assures, He comforts, He is the advocate, He is the one who is the counselor. He is, Jesus said, I'm going to give you another paraclete, another counselor. That's the Holy Spirit. So don't grieve Him. He dwells within us to make us, shape us, form us, teach us, revive us, direct us, guide us continually to the image of Jesus Christ. And how do you do that, beloved? How do we not grieve the Spirit? Notice what he says here. Let all bitterness, bitterness. Just take them one at a time. Do you have any bitterness? Do you have any grudges within your heart? Do you have any smoldering resentment against other people? let's be honest with this 
you know that you do. I do. I struggle with that. I struggle with these things as well. And we all struggle with it. It doesn't do any good to say, oh, not me. I don't. And you know that you do. People have wronged us. We've had difficult situations. People have reneged on loans. They have stolen things from us. And it is stuck into our soul. Paul says, get rid of it. Because it affects then the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. How about wrath? Do you have any wrath in your life? Do you have any, this, this, this outburst of anger? It, it speaks about something that happens in public. Let, let me give you an example. I'm thinking of Nebuchadnezzar. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, We don't care what you do, Nebuchadnezzar. We will not worship you. You can throw us into that fiery furnace. It doesn't matter. We will not bow down and worship you. It says that the wrath of the king was so enraged that he told him to heat up that furnace seven times hotter than it normally heats up so that when the men took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the soldiers took them up there to throw them in. The men died because of the heat. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego survived that. But my point was the anger became irrational, the king was. Let me give you an example of Moses. Moses became wrathful to the point of a public display before the people of God when he struck the rock twice. He was angry. And you know, because of that outburst, that public outburst before the Lord, which he dishonored God, he was not allowed to go into the promised land. That's what it speaks of here. You ever had that? I've had that. It's to our shame, isn't it? But I've had that. I've allowed people to push me, push your buttons. You know, that's a saying. He pushes their buttons. You know, we all have a breaking point. You all have a point to where you just say, I can't take it anymore. Right? And we need more of the influence than of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, put it away. Anger. The, the, the Greek term orge means a simply slow burning anger, resentment against somebody. Slowly. Like coals cooking a fire. Slowly. Just a matter of time before it gets burned, right? But it's slow burning within the soul. Do you have that? How about clamor? outburst expressions, uh, using your mouth and your tongue, just a loud mouth. Put that away. Evil speaking. Blasphemia. Blasphemy. What do you think comes from that? Slander. Slander is to defame another individual. It's to purposely run down another individual. Ruin or spoil another's reputation. That's what slander does. It's to speak evil about somebody else in the negative light so that they would be seen as wretched and somebody that has done some kind of evil thing that they didn't do. That's what a slanderer does. That comes from diabolos, which is where we get the word devil. The devil is a slanderer. If you're a slanderer, you're in league with the devil. You are doing the will of the devil. Paul says, put these things off. And you know why he tells us to put it off? Because it's there and we struggle with it from time to time. It ought not to be your practice, beloved. These things, when they crop up, they need to be repented of. They need to be confessed. You need to speak these things to the Lord. Lord, forgive me. 
I was angry. It was sinful for me to be angry about that particular thing. Forgive me of that. And how about malice? You're plotting and planning a revenge upon somebody else. Paul says, if you do these things, beloved, you are going to grieve the Holy Spirit. You are going to interrupt the influence of the Spirit through the Word in your life. And you are going to be a miserable Christian. You are going to be one who is unsure of your salvation. You are going to be one who is cold and sterile in your life of prayer. You're going to be one who really struggles to read the Word of God. You are going to be one who has a difficulty gathering together with the people of God to worship the Lord. All the spiritual exercises become interrupted. And it's not as if the train doesn't move down the tracks. It just doesn't go very fast. You fall asleep. You get lazy. You get lethargy sets in. Put them off. Simple cure, isn't it? But it's difficult to do. But with the Spirit and the Word... We are enabled. Now notice, it is always a put off and a put on. So if I'm putting something off, um, I'm necessarily putting something on. And it's the putting on of that that's putting off the other thing. So Paul says this, be kind to one another. You see this in the life of Jesus? How unthankful are we as Christians? Now we can say this, well I'm not as thankful as I ought to be. No kidding. We are not as thankful as we ought to be because God commands perfection and we are less than practically perfect. But how thankful are we? We ought to be thankful to the Lord who does all things well and gives us all things richly to enjoy. God is kind to the evil, uh, Jesus said. He gives rain and He gives sunshine. That's an aspect of the kindness of God in the bounties of His providence which He gives to all mankind. We are to be kind. How about the Good Samaritan? Do you see the kindness there? The man who gives of his time, his talents and treasure to help somebody else. Do you see a kindness there? Kind people. You know kind people. We need more kindness. I need more kindness. Kindness is easier with, I think, in a congregation. Why? Because amongst one another, you want to put up a good image. There's not many of us that are rude and obnoxious to one another. It's curbed when we're together. How about when somebody's unkind to you? How about when somebody's rude to you? See, this is the rub. This is where you show kindness. This is where you kill them with kindness. This is what Paul speaks about in Romans 12. Heaping hot coals upon their head. See the expression. It just simply means it shames them. That they treat you with disdain. And you keep on being nice to them. Kind to them. Why? Because God calls us to this. It's one of the reasons Augustine came to salvation. Ambrose was one who was kind. So, how kind are we? Is the kindness seen? Does it show? Is it demonstrated? Not to those who do well to you, but those who don't do well to you. This is what Paul says. Be kind to one another. 
Notice it's a reciprocal. You be kind to him. He be kind to that one. This one be kind to that one. And it goes back and forth in the congregation. Being reciprocal to one another in kindness. Outdoing one another in kindness. He says tender hearted. Tender hearted people. People that understand. People that are compassionate. I mean again. This simply describes Jesus Christ. But this is how we are to be conformed into this image. Being a heart that is tender towards others. What do you do when you see the suffering of other individuals? What do you do when you see certain things that you know are unjust or somebody's hurt or somebody falls down? How do you treat them? Are you tender hearted towards them? Do you reach out towards them? Because it, it, it's not good enough, beloved, to have this feeling of affection within my heart and not reach out to do something. It is consummated by reaching out, by caring. Christ loved us, was kind to us, tender hearted, and that he gave himself for us. So we are to do. We are to give in that way. Tender heartedness reaches out with care and concern. Not just an ooh and an ah, but a going over and meeting the needs and caring in that way. You've seen somebody fall down before and you did nothing, you walked away, and everybody else kind of walks away and does nothing. The kind-hearted people are those that come and help. So we are to be tender-hearted, forgiving one another. How's this one? Forgiving one another. Now, put my cards on the table right away. I do not believe that Paul is speaking about here that if somebody sins against you, just forgive them and go your own way. That is not what he's referring to. That would be contrary to what Jesus said in Matthew 18, and that would be contradictory of the rest of Scripture. God does not forgive those that don't repent. So how is it that I can forgive somebody that doesn't repent? It's an impossibility, biblically speaking. Now I can keep from being sinful towards them. I can pray for them. I can pray that the Lord continues to soften my heart towards that. But there can be no reconciliation until there is a face-to-face forgiving, granting, ascending away of the sins committed. Paul says, be ready then to forgive. Let me ask you, are you ready to forgive? Has somebody wronged you in that if they came to you today and said... I've sinned. Forgive me. Are you ready to forgive? This is what Paul is referring to. Are you ready to forgive them? Are you ready then to put away the differences and cast it away from them? This is what he refers to here, forgiving one another. We love to be forgiven. We're not very good at forgiving. We're good at grudge holding, which Paul says, put that away. That's revenge. That's hidden murder. 105 to 107 in the Catechism speaks with regards to that. Forgiving one another. Somebody comes to you and says, please forgive me. I repent. Jesus said, you shall forgive them. Well, how many times? 
How many times should I forgive my brother? If he sins against me seven times in a day, how many times do I have to forgive him? Seven times? Jesus said, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. What's the point? We're always in a perpetual state of believers as those who have been forgiven of always being ready to forgive when someone asks for forgiveness, when someone repents. Repentance is a change of mind. It's in their mind. They know what they have done is wrong. And they come and they say, I have violated the commandments of God. Please forgive me. Forgive one another. How? In what degree? In what standard? The same way God has forgiven you. Notice what he says there. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, even as, like as, in the same manner as God has forgiven you, so you must do. Forgive one another. Forgiveness is a great virtue. It's a wondrous virtue. You can go forward in relationships with forgiveness. You can go forward in relationships with confession. I confess, I've sinned, forgive me. And you can go forward. And that's a blessing that God has given. That we are to forgive in the same manner means, I don't bring it up anymore. Do you remember when I sinned against you? I don't remember that. We're going to talk about that anymore. It's been forgiven. It's been cast as far as the east is from the west. That's how we are to forgive. You know, husband and wife, you sin against one another. And then, husband, you say to your wife, you know, that's the third time that you did that. Well, I thought you forgave me. Obviously not, right? Because he's keeping records of wrongs. You see, that's the challenge of forgiveness, isn't it? Is to forgive and we don't bring it up anymore. And you know, if you're not talking about it, you're not rolling around in your mind, you're not seething over it, then you're not in verse 31. You're not becoming bitter and vengeful. It's amazing how those things could be pushed back where you don't even think much about it anymore. Once in a while it may arise and you put it down and you move on in your life. But if you're constantly rolling, it's like picking a scab. It never heals. Why? You keep picking at it. Forgive, beloved, and move on with your life. This is what God calls us to as the people of God. If we're not doing these things, we're grieving the Spirit of God. He has called us to be a holy people. Be holy, for I, the Lord thy God, am holy. Strive. Pray that the Holy Spirit causes us to walk more and more in holiness for the honor and glory and praise of God and for the good of those whom he has redeemed. Amen. Shall we pray?